look forward to the day of your coming. And yet in the meantime, you've called us to do some things. You've called us to be light in this world. You've called us to live for you, to spread your gospel everywhere. And Lord, today as we look at Thessalonians, you're going to call us to be blameless in heart and holy, to be growing in our sanctification, our holiness before you. God, and to do that, we need a fresh wind of your spirit. Lord, I know in my own life, I need your spirit. And I think many of us do. And so, God, we ask that you would pour yourself out afresh on us. And that we would be found ready and waiting for you to come. So God, speak to us this morning. I pray that you would speak through your word, that you would touch our hearts, that you'd help us to see your word rightly. And here it's called to holiness. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Jared Jenkins, for those of you who don't know me. And uh, we are in our grow quarter this morning. And so we're going to we're gonna talk a little bit about growing in, in Thessalonians. But first... We've been highlighting different groups we have that you can be a part of and, uh, and assist you uh, in, in growing. And so I have Alex going to come up here and he's going to tell us a little bit about his community groups and community groups in general and kind of how we can grow through that. So go for it, Alex. Sure. Um, you know, uh, our family, we moved here last July. And uh, so we quickly locked into um, Risen Life Church here. And we were fortunate to have a few uh, gracious families invite us into their community group right off the bat. Um, sorry, I, dis, a disclaimer here. I'm a crier too, so you never know what's going to set me this off. Is, but, this has been a yeah. theme this morning yeah, for whatever yeah, reason. That's right. Um, but anyways, uh, some gracious families invited us into their house and uh, allowed us with four small children, which is no small thing, to um, just be a part of their group and tear apart their houses and have our two-year-old run around their backyard naked. But... Um, <laughs> It's been really a way for us We're to find... We're also talking about nudity this yes, morning, Yes, that's right. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. A little different. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. But um, <laughs> it's been really a blessing for us to find our center of gravity here and, and fellowship with the body and be encouraged by the body. And at Jared's invitation, uh, we've now begun leading our own group as well, um, starting this past... Actually, just about a month or two ago. Um, so our group meets every other week. Um, we are working through... Um, the book called Prayer by Tim Keller, uh, which has really been a blessing for us and, and goes, of course, with the theme of Risen Life this year of uh, focusing on prayer. Um, and I just want to share one verse um, that, or one passage here out of Hebrews 10 um, that I've always thought about. My, you know, Jennifer and I, as long as we've been married for almost 14 years, have always been a part of some kind of community group. Um, and I just think it's so important to be involved in that way. Uh, and this is why um, we're, we're encouraged in this way. Uh, in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider... That's going to get me again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you, as you see the day drawing near. And so that, I think, is just really important for us as a group to um, always be there to encourage one another, one another to exhort one another. Um, Kevin talked, uh, excuse me, Pastor Kevin talked a few months ago about the levels of friendship and how hard it is to get past those first couple levels of f- sort of superficial, talking about the weather and, this, and the Buffalo Bills, who I know you guys are all talking about. Um, <laughs> and that's what we hope to accomplish with community group. Very few people ever get to 
the fifth level or so, which I say I may never have gotten to, but at least with community group as an opportunity to, to extend the, the body of the church one step further and trying to get in those third and fourth levels and really um, have a life where you can be accountable to each other. Uh, and just be an encouragement uh, to one another in these ways. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Well, you you ask the Holy Spirit to fall and people start crying. So I think the Charismatics got it wrong. It's not speaking in tongues. It's crying that shows that the Holy Spirit has touched your heart. So there you go. That's Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Sean. All right. Well, uh, we're, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12 uh, today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, it's on page 987 of the, the Pew Bible. Uh, if you want to look there. And we're, we're talking about growing. Paul's been commending the, the Thessalonians, and now he wants them to grow a little more. <coughs> uh, and particularly, he, he's going to exhort them to grow in pleasing the Lord in, in two ways. One is in their sexuality. That's where we're going to talk about the nudity. And uh, the other is in, uh, um, in loving their brothers well. And as I look back over my life, you know, I think if you've been a Christian for any sort of time, you can see those different places where God called you uh, and said, we need to grow right here, right? And it usually comes through his some combination of his word, his people, and his spirit speaking to our hearts. Particularly, I had a, I had a good mem- mentor after uh, at the end of high school that called me and my high school friends to deep discipleship in the word, to, to accountability in our life. And the fruit of that growth was so immense. I'm just so thankful. And Paul here is is calling us uh, to to that that type of thing. He's wanting us to grow. Um, so as we look, you know, as we begin to look at First Thessalonians four one and two here, Paul, as we've said, is building off the first three chapters of what he's all ready told them Paul is proud of the Thessalonians they are doing a great job and we need to hear that as we get into this topic they are doing a good job first Thessalonians 1 3 through 9 tells us that he's remembering them because they have heard the gospel they believed it in faith they experienced the Holy Spirit in power they were convicted of the message that they endured affliction for the name of Christ that they have shared the gospel all over the region. They are known for being Christ followers. They are reflecting their commitments to Christ in the, in the way they're living. And then they've turned away from the idols of the day to serve the living God and everybody knows about it. Paul is, he's proud of the Thessalonians. They are doing great as Christians. And then he prays in, in 3, 12 through 13, that in light of the return of Christ, that in the meantime that, that he wants the Thessalonians to grow in their love for one another and that their hearts would be established holy and blameless at the coming day of the Lord. Just as we were singing that, that we would be prepared like a bride waiting for the groom, ready for God's return. And so as we start chapter 4, Paul makes a, Paul's making a big shift, okay? He's had this lengthy prayer of thanksgiving and praise and encouragement. You guys are doing great. You've done well. 
And now he wants to say, but we need to grow in some of these things. And he's going to give them some practical instructions. So look at 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 1 through 2. Sorry, I keep trying to tell what time it is. All right, there we go. Uh, 4, 1 through 2. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that if you, as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. <clears throat> For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying, you're doing good, but let's strive to please God more and more. I want you to keep going. And the same is true for us. I think you could look at Risen Life Church and say, you guys are doing good here, and you've done this well here, and you're loving each other well, and you're, you're sharing the gospel, but let's grow in these areas. Okay. In the Christian life, there is always room for growth. You've never made it. You've never arrived. As long as you are here, you, you, whether you're a new believer today or seasoned, there is room to grow. I've been a Christian for 35 years. I'm a pastor. And the Holy Spirit this year has been really pressing me on areas I need to grow in. He's been showing me areas. And we have, we have a choice when that happens, right? We can, we can listen to the Spirit of God and begin to walk with Him and grow in these areas. Or we can put our fingers in our ear, right, and reject what God is saying to us. And so I'm, Paul is urging them, and I am urging you, Listen to the Lord. Where is God calling you to grow? What's he saying to you? Do you hear it coming through his word? Do you hear it through his people? Is his spirit speaking to your heart? Where do you need to grow? God says, let's strive together and learn to please me more and more. And then furthermore, notice in this introduction, look at verse 4-2 there. Paul is reminding the Thessalonians of instructions he's already given him. So when we look at sexuality, pleasing God in our sexuality and brotherly love, these are things they know. Paul's reminding them, saying, "Let's you're doing this, but let's do it more and more. Let's please God more. So that the ultimate goal of 3, 12, and 13, that we would be holy and blameless before God when he returns, would be realized. Our Christian growth should always keep that return of Christ in view. And that's really, that's for two reasons. One, it motivates us if we're in sin. It's saying God is coming back. You need to get your life right. He wants to help you get it right. Let's get it right so that you're ready when he turns. And yet it's also a comfort because that's the end of the line. That's the goal. When he comes back, we will be completely sanctified and made completely new and free from all the things that burden you now. So it's the goal. As Paul says in Philippians 12 through 14, I forget what lies behind me and I keep looking at the goal and I keep striving forward. He's saying, let's keep growing. Whatever's in your life, look forward, follow Jesus, and keep growing. Okay? So as we think about the Lord's return, let's grow in our holiness. Now Paul, as I said, as he's already he said, he's like a nursing mother or an exhorting and encouraging father, and he wants to call them to growth in these two areas, sexual purity and brotherly love. I, I thought about starting this sermon by playing the old uh, salt and pepper song. You know, let's talk about sex, all the good things that can be and all the bad but we won't do that. All right, so let's look at 1 Thessalonians 
4, 3 through 8. Here's what it says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, I was joking with a few people this week. You know, you're reading along First Thessalonians and everything's going great. You guys are doing good. Keep going. Keep going. You need to grow a little bit. And oh, by the way, stop sleeping with each other. Right? Kind of like, put on the brakes. What are you talking about, Paul? Where did that come from? But listen, sex is such a sensitive and serious topic for for us as believers in Christ. And as even as we've seen in the news over the last couple of days, this is a serious topic, right? And we need to hear what God has to say on it. And so I, I would ask you as we, we get into this, Let's let's listen to what God has to say. And and I think there's there's a couple important kind of things we need to say about the context of this passage, okay? First is Paul's talking to believers. Okay? If you've signed up to follow Jesus, this is what God expects of us. Okay? He's talking to believers. They're doing a good job of living out their Christian life. They believe, they're living in faith, they're sharing the gospel, but yet they're coming out of a pagan background, much like many of us. We were in the world, we believed the things the world told us, we acted like the world, we became a Christian, and it's a process to come out of that. It's a process to stop looking like the world and begin to look like God's people. And so Paul is encouraging them. He's saying, let's grow in this, okay? Secondly, Paul, listen, Paul is not condemning them for their sexual immorality. He's not saying, I can't believe you did this. It's not like what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2, where he says, stop sleeping with your mom, okay? That's not what he's saying here. He's saying we need to grow in this. He's not condemning them for it. Rather, he's saying, Okay, now let's take the next steps in God's plan of holiness for your life. You're doing really good in believing. You're doing really good in sharing the gospel, really good in witnessing. But let's take these steps in holiness. They believe God. They're following God. They're sharing the gospel, and they need to work on their holiness. I had a good mentor. His name was Greg Hodge, and he he mentored me, taught me how to read my Bible really well, encouraged me to take steps of growth in my life, and he, he reminded me that, look, when I became a Christian, you know, I'm coming out, Greg, this was Greg Hodge, coming out of his background, he lived a very worldly lifestyle. He's like, I became a Christian. He said, I went a whole year before I even knew that God didn't want me to sleep with my girlfriend anymore. Right? We just don't know sometimes. And he said, I was reading the word of God, and I saw that there, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I've got to change here. I've got to grow. And so when we become a Christian, it's a process of growth, 
right? And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's not condemning them, saying, man, you guys are doing great, but we got to grow here. We want to reflect God more and more in our sexuality. And finally, as we get into this, Paul is not condemning sex at all, okay? But rather, he wants our sex lives to be pleasing to God. Listen, Paul didn't say abstain from sex. Some of the Corinthians thought that. He said abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, let's remember God created sex. Okay, sex is good and to be enjoyed. I tried it again this week with my wife. It's still good. Okay? Sorry, Amy. God is in favor of sex. Listen, third page of the Bible, probably the best sex in the history of man, right after God created man and woman, Genesis 2.24. Go read about it. Okay? I'm not talking about it now. He, but he wants our sex to reflect his character. Okay, think about that. He wants it to reflect the nature of the relationship between Christ and the church. That's what this is about. Sex is meant to be a, a mutual giving of, of ourselves to each other in a covenant. A covenant of marriage picturing the mysterious union between Christ and the church. So Paul, is, he's talking to believers, and listen, he's not condemning them, but he's exhorting them, saying, I know where you're at, let's grow in this. Okay? He wants our sex lives to please God. And so I'd invite you over the next few minutes, I want you to consider your sexual purity before God. Okay, this is important for us as believers today. Not by way of condemnation, but asking, where do you need to grow? God desires that we grow in this area and he wants to help you. Okay? If you have if you have a sexual addiction, if you have been abused, or if you're just struggling to walk in purity before God, we want to help you. Okay? We we counsel many many of you on these things and we want to help you. And you need to know that God forgives sexual sin. We have a gracious and loving God. And through the gospel, he can heal you of these things. And he wants you to walk in holiness. So now let's let's pick apart these verses and look a little more detail about what he's saying here in 4, 3 through 8. All right, look at verse 4, 3. He says, Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now we need to say something here. So, some translators, instead of sanctification, have the word holiness there and i think that gives you a little better picture of what it is it's actually the word for holiness but paul's saying god's will for your life is that you would engage in a process of becoming more and more holy until christ returns we're the bride waiting for the groom he wants us to be pure and ready for his return in Christ, he saved us, cleansed us from sin, and said, you're holy, now walk in holiness. Okay? He wants us to be growing in that. You want to know the will of God for your life? That's it. Grow in holiness. Work hard at it. It takes work. We see this in, in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, reflecting Leviticus eleven forty four when it says, 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God wants us to reflect his nature, being holy. That's being set apart from the things of the world and being set free to indulge in the things of God. Okay? Um, Sorry, I got my notes backwards here. All right, there we go. Then look at the rest of verse 4 3. Paul says, The will of God is your sanctification. And then he says, Abstain from sexual immorality. Okay? Now, this word sexual for sexual immorality is actually one word in Greek. It's the word pornea. We all know what that word is related to. And it's really an, an encompassing word for really any type of illicit sexuality. So in the Bible, we can see it including marriage, infidelity. We can see it including prostitution, idol worship that includes sex acts, homosexuality, and general sexual misconduct. This Paul's clear intention is that Christians should learn to be sexually pure, that we would grow in our purity sexually. In fact, the Bible's consistent witness is that sexual immorality is not compatible with the life of God's people. Listen, Ephesians 5.3, and this is the NIV translation. I think it says it the best here. It says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these things are improper for God's holy people. And so we hear Paul's call to abstain from sexual immorality, and we think, man, this is... This is old-time religion. This is not applicable. It's not possible. It's a hindering of my freedom, and it's not good for me as a modern person. And particularly young people my age and, and some of you out here younger than me, we, we hear this and we think, man, this is my grandma giving advice on sex, right? Abstain from sex. Wait till marriage. Flee from sexual immorality in fact i heard a christian friend joking with me this week that that it's it's almost impossible for anyone to abstain from sexual immorality before marriage these days he was saying and many christians and church churches have said this is too hard or they've justified it in the bible the bible's call for purity and said no, no, actually, you can do this if you love somebody. And they paint a banner of love over it and say it's okay. But I don't think that's the case. I think God is consistent on this. In fact, we can see, you know, a lot of the times the question of this is, why do this? Why be sexually pure? And I think Paul gives us a good reason here in 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 20. And this is a little bit of a paraphrase. But he says, flee from sexual immorality. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And I think Paul is telling us a couple important things there in 1 Corinthians about this. Number one, if you've become a Christian, you've transferred your ownership from yourself to Christ. He has bought you with his blood, and he can demand of your life 
that you reflect what it means to be a child of God. So he gets to set the rules, not us. Secondly, it says God's spirit dwells inside of you. In essence, when you're linking trains with someone, you are bringing God's spirit with you, and that is an offense to God's holiness. He is indwelling you. He is right there with you in the midst of your sexuality, whether for offense or to help you stray from temptation. And thirdly, you, when, you, when you are engaging in sexuality, illicit sexuality, this is sowing seeds to your flesh instead of sowing seeds to life in the Spirit. And Paul is saying we must grow in our sexuality. We must grow in our purity. For Christians, this is a must. You've signed on to follow Christ, to become a child and daughter of God. And he's saying this is how you should walk. Then look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 through 5. Paul says, each one of you know, I want each one of you to know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And what Paul's telling us here, this is a little bit of a further implication, further explanation of what it means to abstain from sexual immorality that we would live a life of control in the spirit versus slavery to the passions of our our lusts. That we would be God's people who are in control of rightly ordered lives as opposed to the world that lives out of control, giving in to all their passions. Paul understands sexual purity to be a characteristic of God's people. And we are to grow in the Spirit's desires to eclipse our fleshly desires. And what we see in Paul is that he makes a really interesting link between sexuality, our, our sexuality, and idolatry. Okay? Stick with me on this one. Thessalonica was a large pagan city, very had lots of trade, commerce, really culturally not unlike our own. We're a big city of people from all over the place and doing business. And they enjoyed the worship of gods from all over the place. We have evidence that they worship gods from Egypt and Greece and Rome. And there was Jews there from the, from, from Israel. So they're worshiping all these different gods. And many of the pagan gods, when you worship them, included cult prostitution and illicit sex acts particularly if it was a fertility cult, right? And so Paul's already said in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 that he's, he's proud of the Thessalonians knowing how they turn from idols to serve the one true living God. And so in addition, Paul's saying, okay, you're doing really good here, you're serving God, but now we've got to give up some of these things that went with serving those other gods, okay? And so... This link between sexual immorality and idol worship is a prevalent theme for Paul. We could look at Romans 1, 22 through 31. Here's what it says. He's talking about us when we, when we exchange the truth of God for whatever idol we want to set up in our heart, whether it's nature or, or money or sex or whatever it is. Here's what Paul's talking about. He says, they knew God, but they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they came futile in their thinking. And foolish in their hearts, and they were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about, about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And we see this again. You see it in Acts 15, 19 through 20. Here the the Jerusalem council has just voted to say, all right, we believe you, Peter and Paul. The Gentiles should come into the church, but here's the three things we ask of, of them. That they abstain from idol worship, that they abstain from sexual immorality, and they don't drink the blood of sacrificed animals. That's the link. Idolatry, sexuality is, is put together there in Paul's mind. Similarly in Colossians 3.5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And for some of us, sex is the very idol itself that we, we bow down to and serve and give all of our energy and everything we are. But as we settle our hearts on any other thing than God, as we remove God from our hearts and place some idol, some pursuit there, whatever it becomes, the idol of our heart, then the unbridled indulgence of, of the passions of our hearts follows right behind whatever we're worshiping. And for most of us, that will include sex. And I want you to see this. It's God saying, you don't, you don't want me? You want to set up something else in my place? Then you go for it. You just follow everything in your heart and you see where that goes. It should be no surprise then when we look at the commercialism of our culture, of the Western world, that it leans on sex so much to sell things. Because they've figured out this link. That if we can get something else, some other desire in your heart, and sex, the, the feelings of sex, help to elicit those passions of your heart to set up something else in God's place, then you'll buy what we're selling. I was in L.A. a few weeks ago, and I, and I was driving down one of the fantastic freeways there. And uh, a, a grouping of billboards caught my eye as I was sitting in traffic, staring at them for long periods of time. Uh, and here they were. Panda Express, Strip Club, Tires. As if these things are all the same. Right? Stop by, get me a little General Sews. Stop in for a little strip tease. Get some new tires on my car. Sounds like a good day, right? I want you to see what's going on here. We, we get inflamed for these passions, right? We want to just take a hold of these things as if they're, they're all the same, right? We like to eat. We like to have sex. We like to have new tires on our car. But these are not the same, right? This, this is what our world wants us to say. Just go after those passions, right? Get as much of those as you can. It's all in a day's work. Proverbs 30.20 says it this way, and I think this is just a great picture. It says, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. 
She engages in those passions, right? Those sexual passions. Goes for it. Takes her fill, wipes her mouth, and keeps going and says, I've done nothing wrong. I eat my general sows. I stop by the strip club. I get my tires and I've done nothing wrong. My passions have been given over. And Paul's saying, we are not to be like that. You're not to give yourself to those passions. You are to live an ordered life in God and grow in your self-control. He's saying, learn to live like God's people. Be controlled. Be ordered. And here's the good news. If you are a Christian, you can learn to control yourself. You have the power residing in you. We were asking for more of it this morning, that God's Spirit would reside in us and help us to control these passions that we learned to walk in when we were not following Christ. It is a lie to believe that you cannot control your sexual desires. It is a lie to believe that you, that you cannot be satisfied in God's plan for sexuality. That is untrue. Self-control is, is called a fruit of the Spirit, and we need to grow in our ability to use it. Galatians 5, 22-24 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That means you can have all of that you want in the Spirit of God. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Similarly, 2 Timothy 1 through 7 or 1 7 tells us, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. Church, you can live differently than the world tells you to live, and you can be pure sexually because God's spirit dwells inside of you. And so we start step by step, day by day taking steps, listening to God, walking in his ways. And it may take a while. This isn't an overnight process. But God's grace is enough to help you get out of it, to help you get out of those addictions, to help you make the right choices. Because Christ died for us. And then in 4.6, look at 4.6, he says, I want no one of you to transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Paul is saying here that our sexual sin can deeply wound others around us. It is a violation of others. Our, our sexual desires when we have illicit sex is about taking from other people what God intended for someone else. It's not about pleasing God. It's about pleasing our, ourselves. And our culture says you need sex, you need lots of it, you need good sex, you should, it's fun to be sexy, but our sexual gratification has a cost and it injures you and it injures those around you. Where God intended sex to be a giving act, a picture of the bride coming together with Christ. Many of you have been wronged by people you trusted, by your boyfriend, your girlfriend, a father, a mother, a trusted figure, someone in the church. And Paul says, that is wrong. We should be protecting one another. Don't wrong your brother and sister in this way. Don't take from them what is meant for someone else. And so we have to protect one another. 
And then Paul follows this with a warning. Look at the rest of 4.6. He says, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As I told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. And this warning serves two purposes. He's saying, listen, if you're involving yourself with sexual immorality as a Christian, God's coming back and he will judge you for what you've done. If you want to continue in this way, then he will judge you for this. He's saying, stop, accept the forgiveness of Christ, walk in the ways of a Christian, grow in this. And secondly, this is saying, if you've been abused sexually, then it's saying, God has seen what's been done to you. He has taken note of it, and he will not let it go. He will avenge what has been done to you. And that brings us great comfort. Whether he does it in this lifetime or does it in the next, he will take care of what has happened to you. God is a good father that protects and takes up for his kids, even if your earthly father did not. Paul reminds us that sexual sin is not hidden from God and he takes note of it. And then Paul in 4, 7 through 8 restates what he's said already. For God has called us not for impurity, but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. God has called us to be set apart, pure, holy, like a bride waiting for the groom. And if God is speaking to your heart saying, hey, I need to grow in this area, then listen. Listen, God's grace is enough for you to grow in this area, to be forgiven and to walk purely before him. The question is, will you submit to what he's saying? And to disregard this call for purity is to disregard God himself. That's why it saddens me that so many Christians and churches are casting these calls for sexual purity aside and saying, no, it's all about love. It's not what I read here. Imagine what a witness to the world it would be if the church took its its sexual purity to a new level of holiness. Paul says, you guys are doing really good, but we got to grow in this area of our life. That's what God wants for pleasing him. Now, let's look at Paul's second thing here. We'll look at this more briefly. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. He's going to talk about pleasing love, loving our brothers well. Here's what he says. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Right? You guys are doing good. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and to be dependent on no one. So as we've already seen, Paul's saying, you guys are doing really great. You guys are loving each other really well, but I want you to do it more and more. And here's why. It's because the experience of God's love and the giving of that love helps us to grow in holiness. As we experience God's love, we want to do what he's asked of us because we love what he's done for us. And as we begin to love other people, we begin to think about their interests and not our own, and we begin to grow in holiness. 
In fact, this is the whole experience of salvation, that God loved us first. 1 John 4 describes this to us. 4.15 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is, God, he is with God. He is saved. And then we begin to love God because he loved us first. And then it goes on in 4.20-21 to say, Now you pour that out on other people. And this is a marker of our salvation. And like Matthew twenty-two thirty-four through 40, it says we love the Lord the God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we turn to love our neighbor as ourself, and we begin to grow in holiness. It's the experience of love and giving of love that helps us to grow because we are acting as God acted towards us, towards others. And then look at this last thing he says here in four, eleven through 12. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This, this, this exhortation comes in the context of brotherly love, and I think Paul said it for a couple reasons. When Jesus promised to come back, some of the new believers said, oh, I guess we don't have to work anymore. And so they were dependent on the church to take care of their needs. And so Paul said, no, no. Love your brother well and do that by making sure you're working hard so he doesn't have to support you. Secondly, some of the brothers may have had high political positions and so maybe they were bringing undue attention to the church. They're they're excited about their faith and yet they're bringing undue attention. And Paul says, work quietly, live a good life. And thirdly, this exhortation has a lot to do with mission and I think that's the key. The Thessalonians are to be concerned with their own affairs, to live quietly, to work hard with the result that they would be looked upon well by outsiders and be dependent on no one. This might be good advice for us this political season. Instead of spouting what we're about, let's live it out. Okay? Paul says if you'll work You'll work hard, you'll live quietly, you'll be growing in the Lord, that people will take notice of your life as it's committed to Christ, and they'll think well of you, and maybe even come to follow Christ with you. Band, you can come on up. Paul wants us to be hardworking, productive members of society that exceed the expectations of those around us, pure in holiness, loving our brothers well, working hard, It's see the way we follow Christ and want to follow him with us. Paul has exhorted us to grow in pleasing the Lord, and particularly he wants us to take steps in our sexual purity and our brotherly love. Where do you need to grow? What is God speaking to your heart this morning? I'd ask as we close this morning, if God is speaking to you, then take a few minutes. If you have sin you need to confess, confess it to God. Christ's grace is enough for your sin. He's not mad. He just wants you to grow in holiness. He wants you to reflect his character to the world. Ask for power. Ask for self-control. Ask for more of the Spirit as we sung this morning. That teaches us to walk in his ways and gives us the strength to do it. If you've got a relationship that's going bad, ask for God to heal that. Grow in your love for your brother. Learn to love them well. Paul says you're doing good, but let's do so more and more. Let's please God more and more. 
Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all your many blessings. We thank you for your word in God. Lord, we need your spirit to be able to grow in holiness. Forgive us as a people for being too lax on our sexual holiness. Help us to grow, be pure, be an example of what it means to follow Christ. And Lord, help us to love our brothers well. Lord, as we look for your return, I pray that we would grow and we would be holy and blameless in Christ, waiting for your return as a bride waits for the groom. In Christ's name we pray, amen.